What's up, kinfolk? Welcome to the number one college football show. I am your host, RJ Young. Thank you for watching on the Fox Sports app, YouTube, or listening wherever you get your podcast. Today, we have a rankings extravaganza on tap for you. Going to talk about my week four USFL power rankings, and we're going to debut my post-spring top 25. You can read that at foxsports.com, and I wish you would because it took me all weekend. I wrote something like 6,000 words across like three lists this week, and like 3,000 of them are right there in that top 25 with some news, some nuggets, and some opinion there that we're also going to talk through a few of them, right? I want to start with the top, though. Let's get this out the way. Georgia is the number one team in college football. Georgia has been the number one team in college football for two consecutive years. But I think the take here is Georgia's the number one team in college football and a two-time defending champion with a quarterback that was drafted in the fourth round last month. I really need to underscore that Kirby Smart does not need a great quarterback to win national championships. And really, we're talking about that being an outlier here because Stetson Bennett Bennett was drafted in the fourth round, right? The last national champion to win with a quarterback that was selected in the fourth round or further back was Cardell Jones at Ohio State when they won the college football playoff national championship. And then take a look at all the others, Alabama, Clemson, LSU, had first-round quarterbacks when they won national championships. Now, we can argue about Jalen Hurts versus Tua Tonga-Valoa, but seeing as Tua Tonga-Valoa threw the game-winning touchdown pass to Devontae Smith to beat Georgia, I'm going to go ahead and say that's a first-round draft pick that they had win them the national championship. Of course, Joe Burrow was Joe Burrow, and Trevor Lawrence is Trevor Lawrence, to say nothing of what Deshaun Watson was able to do as well. I also think it's noteworthy that in the Georgia quarterback discourse, when we would expect to see one or even both of the quarterbacks that may lose the job come preseason, because we all believe it's Carson Beck going into the summer, did not enter into the transfer portal. That would mean five-star quarterback Brock Vandegrift, a one-time commit to Lincoln Riley at Oklahoma, who ended up going to Georgia, is still there. And he's going to wait his turn, or he's going to wait for something to happen in front of him, along with Gunnar Stockton, who's a blue-chip quarterback and a four-star prospect. That's remarkable also because not only are you losing the starting quarterback on the last two national championship teams, it's also you've lost the offensive coordinator. Now, I know Georgia fans feel great about Mike Bobo, and you should, but a change at coordinator is still a change at coordinator. So you have a change at offensive coordinator and a change at starting quarterback. You're losing some of that great backfield, and yet and still, you got a guy like Brock Bowers that you're going to put it all on top of. And, of course, Dominic Lovick is probably going to add some really great vertical threat to their offense, such as, you know, Georgia uses it or doesn't. I also think that it's really about the defense, right? That's the point in saying that you don't need to have a first-round quarterback to carry you to a national championship game because we've seen how the NFL feels about that Georgia defense in 2021 and 2022. And it looks like they're loaded for bear in 2023 with Javon Bullard coming back. They got Small Munden, who I expect to have a great year in 2023, along with Xavier Sori to maintain that dominant dog defense because – Georgia has figured out what, you know, college football is all about. Stopping other people from scoring and getting enough out of your offense to win a national championship. All right, number two, we got Michigan. You see it there. Not going to spend a whole lot of time there except to say, hey, man, you got to get past that Oklahoma ceiling. It's not just getting to the college football playoff and win the Big Ten championship anymore. It's that you got to win the semifinal game. Texas Christian made a national championship game in the college football playoff before Michigan did over Michigan's dead body. You got to figure that out. Number three, Ohio State. This is looking like the new normal and uncomfortable and unsettling reality 
for the Buckeyes. Looking up at Michigan, also adding here, they're looking up at Michigan in the recruiting rankings for the 2024 cycle right now is Michigan has the number one class in 2024 but the Buckeyes are dealing with some questions that they haven't had to deal with in quite some time they have an open quarterback derby that Kyle McCord didn't show enough in the spring to go ahead and win Devin Brown seems like he's going to have an opportunity to go win this in preseason camp and the longer that this battle goes on the more likely it is that Devin Brown could come in and take the job from Kyle McCord as I see it because Kyle McCord is the only guy on that depth chart who started a game for Ohio State remember he played really well against Akron last year with C.J. Strauss sitting out that game. They've also had to change their offensive coordinator. And Kevin Wilson becomes the head coach at my alma mater, University of Tulsa. And Brian Hartline was elevated to passing game coordinator, offensive coordinator. We're still talking about whether or not Ryan Day is going to be calling plays in 2023. And I'll be interested to see how that goes. Not so much because I think it's going to change the way the offense runs, but it's more about how good is Ohio State going to be in November or December because that was really the reason why Ryan Day was thinking about giving up the privileges is to be more of a head coach and less of an offensive coordinator. And I don't think there's a better guy in the building to take over that job than Brian Hartline. Of course, you've got Marvin Harrison Jr., who was the best wide receiver in the sport, and I expect to see big things coming out of him. But defensively, you got to figure it out. That's been the Achilles heel for Ohio State basically since Jeff Halfley left his job at defense coordinator. But as we're recording this, my goodness, Larry Johnson went out and got himself a monster. Tywon Malone transfers to Ohio State to play defense tackle. He is 310 pounds. But why I'm so excited about him is he's a 310-pound power hit first baseman that can go oppo taco with the tuning fork. I, nothing fires RJ up more than a two-sport athlete playing football and baseball. I just absolutely love it. And to think I watched his hands come through the zone. Quick hands through the zone, probably quick hands on the line, probably got those great karate hands. Good luck with him over the ball. It's going to be a lot of fun to watch how he matures alongside JT Tuimaloao. Denzel Burke on the back end. We'll see what that defense is capable of. Okay, number four, USC. You know what they got. You know that Caleb Williams is the guy. It's really about can all of these transfers they add on defense help them get past, you know, that fly in the ointment that is Utah, who's really here for it and we're going to talk about them in a little bit but number five Tennessee I feel like I'm higher on Tennessee than a lot of other people are because so many people believe that Hendon Hooker leaving that program is a big deal I think it is because Hendon Hooker will go down in Tennessee volunteers school history is one of the best players in that sport or excuse me in that program's history for what he was able to do for them in 2022 but he's not the most talented guy at quarterback even last year that was Joe Milton and now we get to talk about Joe Milton possibly being the most talented quarterback in the SEC. Talk a bit more about that on Friday, but suffice it to say, the legend of Joe Milton and his arm is ridiculous. I can't wait to see how Josh Heupel fixes his accuracy so we can see the best version of Joe Milton. Number six, Penn State. Number seven, Utah. Defending Pac-12 champions, two-time defending Pac-12 champions. Utah feels like Michigan if Michigan played on the West Coast. And I mean that sincerely. I don't know that Michigan would get the same sort of treatment in as far as their chances of winning a national championship if they played in the Pac-12. Utah is dealing with that for the last couple of years. And they've had 10 win seasons in three of the last four years. And the one that they didn't was the three, three and two season. That was 2020. I realized they're going to lose Dalton Cuthy, or excuse me, not Dalton Cuthy, Dalton Kincaid. They returned Brant Keithy. Right. Got it right that time. And they're also returning Cam Rising, Andrew Quinton Jackson, Micah Bernard. I think with Utah, it's more about can you not lose that game early? You know, can you really finish or start the way that you finished in past years to give yourself an opportunity to play in the college football playoff 
for the first time in school history. Number eight, Alabama. Let's spend a little time here. 2023 Alabama feels like 2022 Michigan. You got every reason to doubt them, and that's why they'll probably mess around and make everybody call home. Nick is building what Kirby had once enjoyed and what he learned from Nick, which is a great ground game complemented by the best defense possible. So it doesn't matter if your quarterback dominates the game. If you've been paying attention to how Nick Saban's offense has changed over the past 16 years, you'll see that the way that Georgia has built its last two national championship teams is how Nick Saban built basically Alabama from 2007 all the way through about 2013 when it was about the defense and running the ball. So you were much more playing bully ball and basically acting like a large man sitting on a small man's chest, just absolutely caving it in. And I think that is indicative of this quarterback controversy, or not controversy, quarterback derby that is extending into the preseason where they got, I think, two guys in Ty Simpson and Jalen Milrow that can do the job. They're just not Bryce Young. And I think Nick Saban would love to have a guy that's not Bryce Young and put the onus on Kevin Steele and the defense to show up and have Tommy Reese going, hey, hand the ball to the tailback, all right? Let's see if we can't outrush some people and really hold the ball for a while. Also, neither Ohio State nor Alabama have penciled in a starter following the spring practice, meaning there's a quarterback derby at both for the first time in recent memory, right? I don't want to speculate on when the last time that Ohio State and Alabama both had no quarterback going into the summer at the same time, but you're thinking back through college football playoff era. I got a hard time coming up with one. If you do, let me know on the Twitters at number one show or Instagram or Facebook, whatever your social media channel of choice is. We're on it. I mean, TikTok is absolutely booming. And y'all be over there telling me about stuff all the time. I also add in here that the Tide have really great talent on defense, but that's nothing new. I realize that they're losing Will Anderson, but if you were paying attention, Dallas Turner was a great edge player for Alabama last year. 37 tackles, eight tackles for loss, four sacks at 13 games. And then you got Kool-Aid McKinstry returning to play corner who had a top, well, he's the best returning corner, right, in the SEC with passes defended, right? He had 16 passes defended. My problem with Kool-Aid is I saw him get his grits cooked by Cincinnati a couple years ago, and I want to see if that dude can make the leap to Patrick Sertan levels of SEC Defense Player of the Year play. We'll see what that looks like, and if he can, Alabama's going to be right where Alabama should be, contending for the SEC West. Florida State at number nine, Clemson at number 10. They added Garrett Riley to be their offensive coordinator. We'll see what he can do with Cade Klubnik. Number 11, Washington. They returned Michael Penix Jr. And not even Caleb Williams threw for more uh, pass yards in the Pac-12 than Michael Penix Jr. Returns wideouts, Roma Dunsey, Jalen McMillan, and offensive coordinator Ryan Grubb who did interview for the job at Alabama before returning to Washington in their 11-win team. They expect to contend for the Pac-12 title. Notre Dame at number 12. Sam Hartman steps onto campus in South Bend as the most accomplished quarterback in Notre Dame history. I really had to let that one sink in because I'm talking to some Notre Dame fans, uh, friends of mine, not producer Tyler, who might have a different opinion about this, but they were going, yeah, outside of Brady Quinn, he's it, RJ. And I looked around and I said, goodness me, y'all might actually be onto something there. But you get it, right? 110 pass TDs in, uh, for the record for pass TDs in the ACC and sits inside the top 20 for pass TDs in a career heading into this season. And of course, they're not going to have Michael Mayer, Michael Mayer, excuse me, returning, going to the NFL. Reese is at Alabama. Tyler Buckner's at Alabama. 
Lorenzo Styles at Ohio State, Logan Diggs is in the transfer portal, but I still think Marcus Freeman ought to feel good about the team that he's got coming back. Audric Estime showed us some things. Benjamin Morrison could be one of the better cornerbacks in the sport. And they got the two best tackles in the sport for me right now in Joe Alt and Blake Fisher. Number 13, Kansas State. I'm really interested to see how they choose to replace what was perhaps the best player that they've had at Kansas State in Deuce Vaughn since Darren Sproles. We'll see what Will Howard can do to take that next step. I think that we're really underrating his potential, and he could be really great in the Big 12 this year. Number 14, I've got LSU. Jaden Daniels fought off all comers to keep the starting job at LSU, but that dude Garrett Nussmeyer is unafraid to sling it. They got two good quarterbacks down there in Baton Rouge. Brian Kelly really ought to feel good about winning the SEC West in year one and beating Nick Saban, a thing that he just couldn't do, gets down to Baton Rouge, gets what I think is the best job in America, and puts it to good use. Daniels will have Malik Neighbors and Mason Taylor, along with all-world linebacker Harold Perkins, who is returning. Remember, Perkins had one of the best games that we had seen by a defender all of last year against Arkansas. Eight tackles, four sacks, two forced fumbles, and a 13-10 to win last November. Outstanding game from him. Can't wait to see how he comes along. Number 15, I got Oregon. Will Stein is stepping in to be the new offense coordinator. He's got a three-man attack in Bo Nix, Bucky Irving, and Troy Franklin that I think every school in the country would love to have. But they lose four starters on their offensive line for 2022. They add what I think is going to be a game-changing defensive tackle transfer in Jordan Birch. Linebacker Mace Funa comes back. And then we get to say one of the Ui Ungalale boys, Mateo, as a true freshman, I hope. We'll see how he matures. Number 16, let's talk about Texas. Talk about Texas, all right? Spend a little time here. Start with this. Texas has a better quarterback than Alabama for the first time since 2009. Think about that for just a second. That means Texas, I'm going to say it again, ought to be good. They ought to be good. They also have an established starting quarterback that fend off Malik Murphy more than Arch Manning, but still in Quinn Ewers, you have one of the better quarterback in quite frankly, prospects in the sport over the last 10 years. And you got dudes for him to throw the ball to. Xavier Worthy's coming back. We know what Isaiah Nair was capable of before he was injured. They added Jontae Cook. I think JT Sanders is going to break out. He had the single season record for catches in a season by a tight end with 54 last year. And that's before we start talking about Cedric Baxter being added to that backfield. Jordan Whittington playing wide receiver because remember I said Marcus Washington a couple weeks ago and Again, just slip. My fault. Ended up at Nebraska. And then I know a lot of y'all are high on A.D. Mitchell, who's transferring in from Georgia. He looked great in the spring game, but again, I just want to see if it shows up. Remember, Sark added a bunch of SEC transfers that we thought were going to be difference makers and game changers, and those guys didn't really materialize. Guys like Ajay Hall and Jaleel Billingsley, still waiting on some others to show up. Kelvin Banks is going to do a lot for that offensive line coming back in uh, this 2023 year after the great freshman year he had. And then Jalen Ford is going to lead a defense that ranked inside the top 20 in yards per play allowed. I'm really excited to see what those guys can do. And Texas ought to have a great season this year. That's why I moved him up in this post-spring top 25 as opposed to my pre-spring top 25. They look like a much more cohesive team than some others, right? I'm inclined to believe that Texas is going to show up and give everybody the what for. And for good reason, right? I think it was uh, Coach Meyer, Urban Meyer, had gone on and said, roster for roster, man for man, it's hard to believe that Texas does not have 
the best roster in college football. And I'm thinking that's been true for the better part of, you know, five years. It's can you turn that group of elite talent into the kind that can win conference championships and play for a national championship? Remember, Texas Christian got to a college football playoff, got to a national title appearance in the playoff era before the Longhorns did. I'm going to use that one everywhere I go because it's just going to get under the skin so many Longhorns fans, and there's not a whole hell of a lot more I like more than pissing off Texas Longhorn fans. Number 17, I got UCLA. Five-star quarterback Dante Moore did not do enough to beat out Ethan Garbers for the job, but, you know, he's got time. And they added what I think is a pretty great running back to help them replace the production that Zach Charbonnet gave them in Carson Steele out of Ball State, which ain't one, but that don't matter because he rushed for 1,500 yards, 14 TDs on 289 rushes. And that man owns a pet crocodile. Yeah. Carson Steele owns Crocky J. I'm sure that there's a story there, but when you hear my man talk, he seems like exactly the kind of dude that would have a pet crocodile. And that's no shade. That's just cool. They've also got what I think is an outstanding jump off point for what is going to be their last year in the Pac-12 where nobody expects them to win a Pac-12 championship, but we expect them to be good. So if they go win 10 games and end up in the Pac-12 championship game, everybody's going to think really well of Chip Kelly and UCLA going into their first year in the Big Ten in 2024. Number 18, I got Texas Christian. I don't think any program has seen more change this offseason than the TCU Horned Frogs. Again, they go from 5-7 and seven to playing in the national title game with a Heisman finalist, but the Heisman finalist wasn't even the best quarterback on campus. They get Kendall Browse to take over for what Garrett Riley was doing. They add some Alabama transfers and Joe Earl, JoJo Earl, Tommy Brockermeyer, Trey Sanders. Chandler Morris is the guy going into 2023. I'm excited about him. I just don't see a return to the national championship game, which is a weird thing to say, but it feels very true. Number 19, we got Wisconsin. It's on the Methodist transfer. Tanner Mordecai threw four interceptions in the spring game. I don't really care. A, it's practice. B, you saw what Drake May was able to do with Phil Longo as his offense coordinator, and it was not too shabby. It's 4,000 yards passing. It's over 600 yards rushing. It's over 40 touchdowns. Tanner Mordecai is capable of the same thing at Wisconsin. It's can they get this all going in year one under Luke Fickle? I think they got the tools to be really great. Number 20, we got Oregon State. DJ Uyunglele chooses to transfer from Clemson to Oregon State and immediately becomes the most talented quarterback in Oregon State football history. And he might not win the job. I think he will, but he might not. That's how people feel about Aiden Childs right now. And it's really difficult to leave out that Ben Goldbrinson also went 7-1 and one last year when he got to start in their 10-win campaign, their first since 2006. To put that in perspective, I'm a 35-year-old man. Last time that uh, Oregon State had won 10 games, I was in high school, graduating high school, all right? They also got Damian Martinez coming back. I think he'll push for 1,000-yard rushing. Kind of like Roman Hemby at Maryland. I'm kind of sore because he went for 982. I think Roman Hemby went for 989. I'm like, y'all can't find my man a couple first downs to get him to that 1,000-yard mark. But Damian Martinez is an outstanding player. Number 21, we got South Carolina. They beat Clemson in an upset. They beat Tennessee in an upset. They land a five-star in edge, Nick Harbor, who we think the world of. Shane Beamer ought to feel really great about where his Gamecocks stand. The problem is you play in the SEC East, which sucks for you because that's Georgia and Florida and Tennessee that you got to get past. I still think they're good. Spencer Rattler showed what he's capable of in uh, 2022. I expect him to have a great 2023. It's about can the defense stop people. They gave up 29 a game. Again, Tennessee, Georgia, Florida. It's tough. It's tough. But you got to stop people. Number 22, 
Let's talk about Colorado. I realize that not a whole lot of people have Colorado in their top 25, but I'm at least consistent on this front. People ask me often, what makes college football go, right? What are we looking at now in this really tumultuous time? Because we've seen more change in the last five years in the sport than I believe we had seen in the 50 years prior, okay? And the one constant has always been the coaches are the stars of our sport. We talk about Nick Saban. Nick Saban is in the 70s, right? We, we talk about Bobby Bowden when he was still coaching, right? Long time. Lou Holtz, long time. Now we're talking about Deion Sanders. Why? Because he is that magnetic and he is that popular. And it's that magnetism that allowed him to swipe the number one recruit in the country in the 22, to, uh, 22 class to head to Jackson State, an HBCU and FCS program. And not only did he get that player, it's paid off. They win football games, okay? They got back-to-back 12-win seasons, 23-3 and over the last two years, two trips to the Black College Football National Championship, and two SWAC championships. But now we're talking about, oh my goodness, all these players have gone into the portal since Prime arrived to Colorado, to which that's not new. He did that at Jackson State too. It's just y'all didn't pay attention because it's not a Power 5 program, and you didn't get to watch a whole hell of a lot of them on TV. To say nothing of, Colorado went 1-11 of last year, so perhaps the roster wasn't in great shape to begin with. But even with the purge, right, 70 players since the start of 2022, I might add, not just since he got there, going into the portal, he's up to 59 scholarship players. There are over 400 Power 5 scholarship players in the transfer portal. That's according to The Athletic. You need a couple dozen of them if you are Colorado. A couple dozen out of 400 Power 5 transfers. And sticking to his formula that he instituted at Jackson State. As a matter of fact, you dig through the archives of the YouTube channel for the number one college football show. He would tell you what he did at Jackson State. Same formula. 40, 40, 40. 40% of the roster needs to be graduate transfers. 40% of the roster needs to be undergraduate transfers. And 20% of the roster needs to be high school signees. That is using the rules in this tumultuous time to your benefit, where you can overhaul the roster at any point if you want to. Lincoln Riley did this last year, and nobody said boo, right? I think it's because you saw what Lincoln Riley did at Oklahoma. But you'll also remember that he didn't have to overhaul a damn thing when he took over the job at Oklahoma because the roster was in such good shape. I've never seen, I take that back, outside of Urban Meyer to Ryan Day, what Bob Stoops gave Lincoln Riley needs to go down as the best transition in college football we've seen. Because what you usually get is what Prime is dealing with in Boulder right now, which is having to get in your guys. But the first thing you have to do to get in your guys is make room for you guys to get there. They'll be recruiting throughout this period with guys into the portal. They'll build their roster back. They'll be in good shape. Shadour Sanders, one of three quarterbacks across FBS and FCS last year to throw for 3,500 yards, 40 TDs, and six INTs or fewer. The others, Caleb Williams, who won the Heisman, C.J. Strouch, number two pick in the draft. They got dudes. Travis Hunter's going to go both ways. Cormani McClain, they've got coaches. Charles Kelly, National Recruiter of the Year for 247 Sports, and defensive back coach at Alabama. They are going to be okay. If they got an offensive line, they got a defensive line, you'll see it come together rather quickly. It's just about how quickly it comes together. There was that spring that Prime took over where I believe they went three and three in 2021, and they got themselves back to good 2021 for the fall, and they look really great. Even had a change at quarterback that y'all just don't remember now but I do, right? Now, I'll also add in here, I'm really high on Dion because 
I see how the kids respond to him, and I see how the player uh, players co uh, the players' parents respond to him, which is how I respond to him. Right? He's a big part of my childhood. He's a big part of my fandom in the sport, and my fandom as a Dallas Cowboys fan. And I know that I work at Fox, so you probably get this, but I'm going to lay it on for you. There is no better way to get on the good foot than to say that you play for the Dallas Cowboys, right? I think it's even more powerful than playing for the New York Yankees. I, I believe that because you know a Dallas Cowboys fan. There's one in your family. Probably can't stand that person because they're like me. They're probably always up in your chili talking about what Philly's doing, what New York's done, what Washington might be doing, okay? Probably looking around going, is Dak Prescott the guy? Yeah, he's the guy. Tired looking around going, do we pay Zeke too much money? Probably paid Zeke too much money. But I'm a Cowboys fan. And Dion made the star what the star is in the 1990s. Number 23, let's look at Iowa, to which I have written down in my rundown, be less propane and more offensive. Iowa, all right? Like, okay. February, the Hawkeyes made news when it came out Multiple reports that offensive coordinator Brian Ferentz's contract won't be renewed next year if the offense doesn't average 25 points per game or more. This is more about the Hawkeye defense in the last couple of years basically being the, best, the second best defense in the sport. And you got almost nothing to show for it. That can't happen if you're Iowa. A, you're Iowa. B, you're talking about an offense that was putting up, excuse me, not an offense, a, a program that was putting up 17.7 points per game last season. And that's with the help of the defense, all right? We're talking about an offense that was, an offense, I keep saying an offense, but it's not, it's just scoring. Iowa was 123rd out of 131 FPS teams in scoring last year. The last time that Iowa averaged 25 points per game, in 10 games or more, I should say, it was 2019 when they averaged 25.8. They've got a Big Ten vet, a Big Ten champ, a college football playoff vet in Kay McNamara to run the offense. He's going to need help from what I think is the star in the making and running back, Caleb Johnson. Eric All, also a transfer from Michigan at tight end, has an opportunity to be great for them. They also are going to get help on the defense once again because, look, two things. Cooper DeGene is a lot of fun, all right? And I'm going to be the first to tell you that Iowa put the first white cornerback into the NFL draft since Troy Apke this year in Riley Moss. I, I can't wait to see whether or not they leave that man at corner at Denver, but I want it to happen. Second part of that is Cooper DeGene was a better prospect at defensive back than Riley Moss, and he's still there. It's a dude that can absolutely levitate, elevate, and throw it down with sewer service. If you watch his high school basketball highlight film, you know what I'm talking about. And now that we've got done talking about Luke Van Ness, who I don't think that NFL fans had even heard of before the draft, I'm going to remind you, I was talking about this this time last year. Aaron Graves is at Iowa. He is a diamond in the rough on this here program. When you see Aaron Graves on the defensive line as a redshirt freshman destroying people, remember somebody told you to watch Aaron Graves on Phil Parker's defense at Iowa. And it was me. Okay. That's all I'm asking. This is why we have Iowa ranked at number 23. Number 24, we got Oklahoma. The take here is the defense needs to play like it's, you know, actually the school that invented the Okie drill. Hello. Giving up 30 points per game. 
ain't it. That ain't, that, ain't, that, ain't, that ain't gonna get it done. That ain't gonna get it done. Giving up 186 on the ground a game. That, 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 that ain't gonna get it done. That's not gonna get it done. 106 in rush defense behind Ball State, which I will remind you once again, ain't one. That ain't gonna get it done. That's not gonna get it done. Okay? After the program's first losing season in nearly 25 years, Brent Venables is once again looking to the portal and a top five recruiting class to flip this thing around in a hurry. And he did work, right, on the defense. Rondell Bothroy comes from Wake Forest. Desan McCullough comes from Indiana. Jacob Lacey comes from Notre Dame. My goodness, Andrew Anthony comes from Michigan on the offensive side. Dylan Gabriel comes back for another year. Jackson Arnold looks like a dude that's going to be ready for SEC play in a couple of years. But it's really, I'm not sure about the offensive line. That's why they moved down just a little bit in the rankings because I was at that spring game and I didn't feel great about it. Now, on the one hand, you could say, RJ, that, that's because the front seven, in particular the defensive line, got that much better through the portal in the spring. I want to believe you. But I know what Bill Beatonbow is capable of because Anton Harrison got drafted in the first round in April because Wanya Morris is that good because Chris Murray was that good. You're having to replace all of this on the offensive line, okay? I don't like watching an offensive line not get pushed against a defense that was given up 30 a game and 186 on the ground last year. I get it, but they'll have an opportunity to show what they're made of come September. But for right now, 24, 25, Kansas. Carry on my wayward son, the Jockhawks, Jayhawks rocked, chalked. First top 25 ranking is since 2009 in the Associated Press poll. They return Jalen Daniels. Running back Devin Neal might be their best player, guys. Their best player is running back Devin Neal. Okay? Jalen's great. Devin Neal makes them go. Lance Leipold doing what he has been doing for his entire career. Going to a program, flipping it into a winner. Okay? I have them there because now they're not sneaking up on anybody. They went bowling, went 6-6. Six and six. Now they're going to go hunting for bear. If you're looking at Texas Christian and you're Kansas, you're asking, why the hell not us? All right. That's going to do it for those rankings. Let's get into some pro football rankings. All right. Week four, USFL power rankings. Here we go. Number one, we got the New Orleans Breakers, who are 4-0, 2-0 in their division. The Breakers beat the Generals 20-17 in Canton last weekend. The offense is still great. West Hills went for 191 uh, rush yards in week three, went for 159 from scrimmage in week four. They really needed his production to get past what I thought was an outstanding Generals defense and, and one of the best in the league. But now... After getting this win against what John Filippo called the best defense in their league, they're going to be expected to finish as the South Division champs. Now, they got another game against Birmingham a little bit uh, further down the road, but I'm excited about what the Breakers can do in year one under John Filippo, which leads me to number two, Birmingham Stallions, consistent there. They go to three and one. The Stallions beat the Maulers 24-20. You, you play the Stallions this week, Boogie. I got you. I got you this week, right? 24-20, but you, you, played, you played the Stallions. Stallions also, right, just know how to win football games, which is why it was so weird to see them not finish against the New Orleans Breakers a week ago, but they're back on the good foot. They are looking to head into what I think is going to be a great clash against the Houston Gamblers. Talk about them in a little bit here or, uh, later on. Number three, New Jersey Generals. Again, they lost to the Breakers 20-17. It's their fourth, lo fourth loss since the USFL return last April, and frankly, I thought they were going to pull this out. They had 176 rush yards against New Orleans, but they were negated by 105 yards of penalties. Just got to play cleaner football. You play cleaner football, you get a little bit more out of your passing game, which was only 113 yards, you probably win that game, right? 
Number four, the Houston Gamblers continue to improve. They're at two and two, one and one in the division. Gamblers beat the Stars 41 to 16. At times, it didn't even look that close in Detroit, guys. Uh, we're talking about Kenji Bahar really finding himself at the quarterback position. Mark Thompson was efficient. 13 rushes, 134 yards with three TDs. You will take that each and every time. They get the reigning USFL champs, Birmingham Stallions, at protective in week five. Very excited about that. Number five, the Pittsburgh Maulers moved up despite a loss because I felt good about the way that they played their game. Like, we're talking about really a great defense and would have been a great defense since the USFL's return, but an offense that just can't get out of its own way. I mean, Troy Williams played his best game so far at quarterback, 20 or 32 for 210 yards, 64 rush yards, but you're settling for threes when you should be getting sixes, three trips to the red zone, three field goals. I understand that you have lots of faith in Chris Blewett, who's making kicks, but you got to get six, guys. That's what it is. I mean, Ray Horton challenged him. He said, we try to get out of diapers and get into pull-ups. They weren't able to do that in week four. Let's see if they can get it done in week five. Number six, we got the Philadelphia Stars. 41-16 loss to the Gamblers in Detroit. The worst loss in the Bart Andrus era of the Philadelphia Stars, who are flirting with missing the USFL championship game for the first time in the history of the USFL, which dates back to the 1980s. Yes, we're having fun with this. We are. We realized that there was no USFL for a good damn near 40 years. But still, kind of fun to think about that the Philadelphia Stars have been in every championship game and may not make it if they don't figure out how to get to that second spot in the North Division. A lot of this comes back to Case Cookus, who took six sacks. That's more about the offensive line than it is him. Defense also gave up 463 yards and seven and a half yards per play to the Gamblers. That's, that's not going to cut it. That's going to get you beat every week. And I think this is some tape that the Stars will probably throw out, try to forget that it happened, get back on the good foot this week. Number seven, the Memphis Showboats, who get their first win of the season against the Michigan Panthers in Detroit, 29 to 10. My goodness, it felt like Todd Haley had just decided, forget a run game. We're just going to toss it. And it wasn't even that they tossed it for that many yards. I think it was 151 yards that Cole Kelly had. It's that when they got into the red zone, they were able to finish and get six. Uh, Carnell Lake's defense also came alive with three takeaways, two interceptions uh, in their first win of the season. And I believe, you know, it's their second win in the last nine games coached by Todd Haley. Uh, going back to the Tampa Bay Bandit days. And then number eight, the Michigan Panthers. The Panthers lost 29-10 showboats at Ford Field. Home teams, or I should say hub teams in Detroit, are Philadelphia and Michigan. They are winless at home, which is wild because, you know, everybody's excited about having teams at Ford Field, but y'all got to give Motor City something to, to root about. You got to win some games at home, Right. Josh Love has not looked like the guy that we saw in week one for some time, but, you know, he and Carson Strong combined to go 19 and 27 for 134 with an interception apiece. Lost fumbles by Love uh, on a strip sack, and then wide receiver Joe Walker fumbled a kick return that basically was indicative of the score. Didn't feel like Michigan was really in this game. They came apart late with some penalties and some personal fouls and unsportsmanlike penalties. They just got to get a little bit better at controlling themselves holding on to the football, and I think they'll be right back in the mix. All right, that is going to do it for this episode of the number one college football show. My thanks as always to our lead producer, Tyler Wojak. Our senior producer is Catherine Donnelly. Our director is Kyle Holly. Our social media maven is Javion Duncan. Our lead of screening is Jack Coakley. Our production assistant is Kiara Santana. I'm the host, RJ. We will see y'all on 
Friday. Deuces.